Welcome back, everyone, to the next episode of Versified. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Joe, Joey Big Fish Joe, and I'll be your shepherd today through this episode of Versified, the podcast where we dive into the technologies and individuals powering DAO operations, treasuries, and pushing Web3 companies into the future. Really exciting episode here that we have today. We'll be talking to... Uh, Jelly, who is the acting head of treasury, as well as a uh, consultant for Veloce. Um, so Jelly, do you want to give a quick intro of yourself and your background and how you ended up in the Web3 crypto world? Sure. Well, thanks so much, Joey. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, my background started in consulting uh, for the past 18 years or so, uh, always in traditional businesses. I have a mixture of a finance and a technology background. So over the course of my career in uh, predominantly traditional finance, I was working with large financial institutions, first doing investigations into issues that were going on, fraud, SEC, DOJ type investigations, uh, and then later some crisis management and restructuring in that space. Uh, I spent about 10 years living in Europe, working with European banks, dealing with US OFAC compliance. Uh, so really saw some of the, the major issues that crypto, of course, now talks about all the time. Uh, and then ended up in the Middle East for a couple of years, uh, which is actually the first time that I started working in the blockchain space, uh, specifically with the Abu Dhabi government, right around 2017, 2018, uh, when Bitcoin was mooning. And in that point of that cycle, right at the end there, uh, they were looking for strategy and policy to help drive blockchain adoption in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. Uh, once I came back to the US during COVID, uh, got involved more in the DeFi scene in uh, Austin, Texas, where, where I currently reside, uh, met one of your team members here uh, who was working at Olympus at the time, and really got to see the evolution of kind of the Web3 2.0 tools that were in DeFi. Uh, so bonding right at the very beginning of when that first started, uh, some protocol-owned liquidity and the migration away from yield farming. At that point, and just seeing where the ecosystem was headed, it just seemed like a natural fit for someone who had a background in finance and technology. And I really just wanted to be part of that future. Um, after that, ended up working in digital asset management for a little bit uh, and really kind of settled into this role as a consultant, but also uh, the owner of treasuries or the manager of treasuries for the clients that I'm working with, which led me to uh, Veloce, really an incredible company in the Web2 space. Uh, really, I think the largest esports racing gaming uh, company in the world with a huge network of 35 million subscribers. And they wanted to make the jump into Web3. And so was lucky enough to help them through that and, and now transforming that treasury as we move forward on their journey. A uh, pretty extensive background. Uh, I mean, you have bona fides across TradFi, um, working with large, uh, not institutions, but governments, in addition to getting a little degen and DeFi. Uh, and we do want to dive into uh, your work at Veloce and transitioning from uh, a Web 2 to more of a Web 3 native business. Uh, but before getting into that, you're, you're doing treasury management right now. It's a broad concept. It's something that we talk about ad nauseum here at Bond Protocol. But what does treasury management mean specifically to you, starting from a general perspective? And then we can get into some more specific nuances. Yeah, I think to me, it really is a function that drives and underpins whatever the objectives of the business are. Uh, I know from listening to Diversified that a lot of the other people that you have on are from pure Web3 native DAOs. 
Uh, and so the objectives of those treasuries are slightly different than what I've been dealing with in a web two to web three transition. But I think first and foremost, it's very clear that the treasury is really a function that should enable the business to grow, um, whether that is through investors or to underpin and, and create cash that allows operations to continue. Uh, and so the first part is, of course, making sure that you're aligned with that mission and that the governance is set up appropriately. Um, beyond that, I think the other biggest second point to have, of course, is risk management and diversification, uh, because you simply can't have the cash that you need for operations uh, unless you're managing risk effectively, especially given the chaos of the, of the crypto world. Um, aside from that, I think it's important, especially for firms that are dipping their toe into the Web3 space, to think about liquidity, because it's not typical for a private Web2 firm to have a lot of familiarity with being a publicly traded 24-7, 365 entity like virtually everyone is in the crypto space. And so there are very specific nuances around that based on where the audience is, um, where the customer base wants to interact with that token, uh, and setting that up and managing that over a long time horizon as things change. You bring up a lot of great points there, uh, particularly the, the focus on liquidity, um, but making sure that you're shepherding resources appropriately with the treasury for both short and longer term goals. Um, so I guess starting from the beginning for projects that are looking to either make the transition from Web 2 or Web 3 or, or just launching their tokens, what are, how do they start with treasury management? Is it finding the right person? Is it focusing on one specific goal or task? I think it has to be looked at holistically and ideally you want to get involved as early as possible uh, because decisions that are made in the tokenomics phase will impact that token for the entire life cycle of the protocol. Um, and so decisions that are made very early on need to be thought of carefully and um, you really have to game out the different scenarios that are possible as the protocol evolves, as the company continues to evolve. Uh, so I would say that's the very first component. Uh, then the second major phase of treasury management would be that after you have the tokenomics and the structure set up, uh, ensuring that the governance is there to back that up and ensure that that is something that will sustain over the life cycle of that project. Um, and then I'd say the third component is really getting the right partners on board. Uh, it's, it's virtually impossible to, to launch a token alone in-house with the expertise that you have. You often have to have maybe onshore and offshore legal counsel. You're going to be dealing potentially with centralized exchanges as well as decentralized exchanges. There are market makers, uh, obviously a wide array of, of positives and negatives in the market uh, from a market making perspective. So you have to be very careful with who you choose there. Uh, and of course, marketing goes hand in hand with treasury management simply because it is a function of the business. And if you're going to be growing asset base and uh, making sure that you're engaging with your community, the marketing arm is something that's usually the first line of defense in communicating outward what our objectives are, what the future looks like, and ensuring that the community is aligned with the overall treasury roadmap. Um, so yeah, the final component would be after that launch and after you're moving into it, now you're essentially an investment manager who's dealing with a large community of stakeholders and trying to ensure that you're balancing the different objectives of every, every different stakeholder in the ecosystem. I want to unpack a couple of those points, but I do want to give a little bit more time to governance structures and setting that up from the get-go. Um, so how should on-chain treasuries think about establishing governance in kind of the immediate, let's get it off the ground, but also as they continue to grow and scale, um, how should they be thinking about constant evolution of governance? Yeah, I think one of the most important things to, to always keep in mind are the early investors. Um, 
often they're gonna have a very outsized proportion of voice, especially at the very beginning of the project and of that project's launch. And they're gonna have very different objectives uh, than the remainder of the community that comes on a little bit later. I think it, it's a talking point now in DeFi or in crypto in general, that projects that have very large VC backing at the very beginning uh, tend to have pretty aggressive token vesting schedules. Uh, retail gets concerned that they're being dumped on or that their voice isn't heard. Uh, and so a, a matter of balancing that uh, to ensure that there is leeway and room in the future uh, for more than just simply those early investors to be able to be part of this growing ecosystem uh, will really benefit, I think, moving on. Uh, when it comes to the governance structures specifically and, and how that voting and, and on-chain governance can happen, I think there are a lot of really great tools out there and there are a lot of really great examples out there. Um, you know, I think uh, Rookdown did a great job as well uh, dictating some of their principles that they follow for on-chain governance. Uh, I think you've also got A16Z and a handful of others that have weighed in on this point. But when I think about it, I, I really, I think it's a very, very broad topic and there's a lot to cover here. Um, but transparency is really just like the core. If I were to boil it down to one thing, ensuring that you are keeping, locking your liquidity in places where people can see it, um, ensuring that you're using tools and that you are following your, your dictated strategy over the course of a long time horizon um, to just comfort everyone that you are acting as you said you would act um, and then, of course, security and things like that are always critical when you're dealing with on-chain governance. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned the, the third aspect to focus on, which is partnerships, uh, particularly with, with market makers, with like different tools and, and uh, folks that can be part of the proverbial, proverbial excuse me, ecosystem. Um, so in thinking about whether you should work with a market maker or have a central exchange listing, how do you make that decision? How do you understand if that's right for you, um, everyone that's involved in governance in your community? Yeah, I think right, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the first concerns I think that you need to evaluate based on where you are incorporated is the jurisdictional requirements of that specific location. Uh, I know there are very big differences between being in the United States uh, with market making your own token, that is actually something that's not allowed. If you go to the Coinbase terms and conditions, you'll see that you shouldn't be trading your token on your own behalf, whereas that's a, a pretty normal thing to do in a lot of other jurisdictions in the world. So in those situations, uh, you could potentially market make your own token, and many other uh, market makers provide this as a service. Essentially, it's a software licensing service for algorithmic trading uh, that you would enter into with them, and then you'd be able to set that up uh, on your behalf. There are really two different kinds of market makers or two different kinds of market making structures that you could implement. Uh, one would be this retainer type model where you are licensing the software from a market maker uh, and then in return you're going to pay them on a monthly basis. There could also be uh, some carry if you're doing proprietary trading. Uh, there could also be other incentives that you're building into there. but. At its core, I would say that that's one of the most common ways to do it. Uh, the other would be, especially early on, if you do not have already stables or, or something to pair your token against, uh, there are a lot of loan-based market makers who will take some percentage of your tokens, between 1% and 3% or something typically like that, and then they will provide the other half of that pair. So that could be USDT, that could be ETH, whatever the case may be. Um, and then they will trade your token, but not provide you often with the transparency that you would get uh, if someone is simply trading on your own account using their algorithmic trading software. And so these are very, very different approaches. And I think each of them 
have their own merits depending on the situation and, and the process of, of launch that that current protocol is going under. The way that I would sort of think about it is if you're a very early project and you don't already have a diversified treasury and you don't have the stables to provide, you really don't have too many options other than going with a loan-based market maker uh, simply to get that cash in and be able to use that to provide liquidity on a centralized exchange at the very, very beginning. On the flip side, if you're a little bit more mature of a project or you have the in-house capabilities to be able to trade, I think there are a lot of benefits um, to the retainer type model because you're really aligning incentives and ensuring full transparency in that space. So those are the two different ways I would think about market makers, specifically on centralized exchanges. Of course, they can trade on DEXs, but since everything on chain is a lot more transparent, you don't really have the same sort of concerns uh, in that regard. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it really depends on like where the project is in, in the course of its launch, whether you're about to go onto a centralized exchange, but you don't have liquidity um, or you're a project that doesn't yet care about that. Um, you could take each of those two different approaches. You, you have a really extensive background uh, as far as working with uh, more um, like institutions um, with complex legal structures. And you've worked with uh, a number of different market makers in these different models. Um, but typically, are you seeing it as one individual such as yourself who's doing treasury management as well as managing relationships with these market makers? Or is it a, a broader team? And how should DAOs think about hiring the correct roles and coordinating that across, uh, across the business? Yeah, again, I think it, it, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, in general, I would say there's going to be a point person, and that point person could either build or buy any of the different capabilities or rent, obviously, by paying uh, third parties uh, for each of these different components that they might need. So for example, uh, if the market making component is something that's outsourced, that treasury, that treasurer would be the one handling probably the negotiations, figuring out what the metrics are, how you want to look at um, depth, how you want to look at thread, all of these different things, and ensuring that the um, subcontractors are doing what they're supposed to do. But I think, or at least my philosophy on this, is that you could be the tip of the spear and you could handle those introductions and manage those subcontractors at the beginning, but it really should behoove the protocol to build that capability in-house slowly over time. And because each of them have their own different objectives um, and they have their own nuances of where they may be listed, what exchanges they're trading on, uh, and, and some of the different nuances of arbitrage opportunities that may exist for them specifically, I would think that over time you should be building out these capabilities. Um, so I would say you might start off with one individual as a consultant and then hopefully build that into a team of people that are building and managing effectively this entire treasury landscape. And a good chunk of that should be analytics and making sure that you have the data necessary to make decisions. Analytics is certainly a, a key part and a key component. Um, have you seen like a specific analytics stack or infrastructure work quite well for whether it's immature treasury teams or on the high end, very sophisticated ones? Sure. It, I think it really depends what you're trying to measure. Um, but obviously, you know, like the Dune Analytics dashboard, dashboards that everyone uses are pretty typical. Um, there is a company we've worked with called Cookie3 um, that does a really good job of targeting very specific kinds of on-chain behavior. Um, I'm not sure if you saw uh, it on the Lens protocol, like the NFT garden, but these dynamic NFTs and the measurement of on-chain activity is something that can be used to segment customers very well. 
And segmenting customers and community essentially allows you to connect with those people in a different way to understand what are they actually doing? Are they interacting with this app or this game in my ecosystem? Or is it that one? And who are these users? And so the ability to, to make custom dashboards either on a platform like Cookie 3 uh, or even in-house uh, is very, very useful to be able to understand how best to serve your customers. Because again, the treasury is really just serving the protocol as a whole. Um, and I found that is a good way to segment out different, um, different kinds of activity that you want to incentivize and then reward those users accordingly. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really interesting point just around transparency of the dashboard and just making sure that everyone within the community knows how the treasury is performing, where funds are going, and how the individuals that are empowered and trusted with it from governance or elected otherwise are actually uh, executing on, on their vision and their plan, uh, both long-term and within, uh, within the short-term. Um, expanding that a little bit, we talked about the analytics stack, but what else is there from like a DAO tooling perspective that you think is fantastic, whether it's specific to governance, whether it's specific to management of funds? Um, is there anything that you're seeing in the ecosystem that would be part of the, the broader cloud of treasury management, I guess you could say, to borrow a Web2 term? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think these tools are uh, constantly evolving and growing. I know when I first started doing this, the concept of bonding and protocol owned liquidity was still very early. Um, there was a lot of yield farming, which is essentially you know renting mercenaries to to um, provide that liquidity to your token, who will immediately jump ship to the, the next available opportunity with a higher APY the moment that they can. But Bonding is a much more long-term and well-structured methodology to be able to sell your token into the market at you know whatever the market price may be with, with discounts. And, and I think your team's done a really good job of structuring um, the reverse Dutch auctions and a couple different methodologies to ensure that uh, that market price is efficiently priced and you are getting the most out of your token when you're emitting it out into the ecosystem. Uh, so that's one, I would say the ability to also diversify out of just simply stables, but into any other tokens that you may want in your treasury. Um, I especially think about that when you're trying to create partnerships or um, maybe investments, uh, something that comes to mind immediately would be like the curve or the context tokens. Uh, if that's something that you want to get into your treasury, bonding is an excellent way to do that. Um, and you can, of course, incentivize people accordingly. So that's certainly one. Um, other than that, I, I think there are a lot of good sites to check out, obviously Dex tools and a handful of others, aggregate information about any on-chain on protocols. And so you've got uh, some data that's coming from audits that's available. You've got uh, liquidity scores. Um, you can see the concentration of where people are trading and what those trades look like. And so I would say um, the same tools that are being used by investors out there could be used and repurposed in a slightly different way um, to manage and look at what others are looking at so that you can tailor your metrics to them. Yeah, it's been really cool to see not only the evolution of bonds, but just general um, like DAO tooling and services out there, whether it's um, things like DEX tools and DEX screeners you mentioned that are more uh, retail or trader focused, I guess you could say, being used for treasury management use cases or things like bonds that have been employed for treasury diversification or securing protocol and liquidity is a more sustainable approach than just standard liquidity mining. So yeah, let's dive into your experience as the head of treasury at Veloce. Um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, what are your responsibilities? Um, what are you doing as the treasury manager, but also bubbling it up to Veloce and probably starting there too, uh, what are they up to and, and kind of what's the, what's the goal of Veloce and uh, the VEX token? 
Yeah, well, never a dull day. I'll start off by saying that. Um, just kind of typical in this industry of working across all different time zones. Uh, the first thing I think that anytime I wake up it, to check would be, how are we doing from a cash perspective? That's obviously like the number one thing. Uh, and we have a couple different mechanisms by which we are able to get cash into the treasury. Uh, one, of course, is bonding. You know, we, we are customers of bond protocol. Uh, so thank you for that, obviously. And secondly, we are also doing our own internal market making. Uh, and so there are situations where we are selling tokens into the market, but we're also doing targeted buybacks at certain price thresholds um, in order to uh, stabilize price, remove liquid, uh, remove volatility from the token as much as humanly possible. Um, and also just to sort of ensure that we are at the targets that we've set for the community and for the ecosystem for emissions overall. Um, so I'd say that that's probably the first thing to wake up and, and focus on. Uh, along with that comes coordination with market makers. So we're using a mixture of different kinds of market makers, some of whom we retained at the very beginning that are loan-based. And then of course our, our in-house market making that we've done ourselves. Uh, so coordinating to make sure that we are aligned, our objectives are, are working out for the next day, week essentially. Um, and that that communication is also going internally to uh, the VEX marketing team, the product development, uh, and that we've got a roadmap that, that's going to work forward uh, with everyone on the same page. I think beyond that, the number one thing that I have to keep in mind at all times is just the competing interests of stakeholders, right? You've got um, the community, of course, uh, which Veloce is in the process right now of taking a Web2 business and trying to decentralize that over the course of three to five years. Uh, and so when you start off with a Web2 business where everyone is very much used to the centralized um, top-down control structure, with a bunch of investors who are familiar with Web2 investing, uh, board seats, all of that traditional type stuff, it is a huge challenge to sort of see how that control should be surrendered slowly over time in a controlled manner um, to allow the community to make more and more of these decisions. And so along with that comes a lot of education. So I do spend a lot of time uh, with the community, you know, writing different documents or sharing information with the community about where our strategy is, where we're going, how this ultimately helps them and will drive value towards the VEX token over the course of the future. That also comes with a lot of interaction with uh, the product team. So this is a game studio. We're building out a number of different games. Uh, a mixture of those could be more on-chain style games. Uh, there are two that are currently in the mix um, and there are many more in the pipeline that are coming on. And those games have many, many different kinds of features that drive tokenomics. So some could be, uh, you would essentially pay to enter something predict something based on your skill of a real world sports outcome uh, and then based on that win prizes so that would be one way that we could do this that of course has one implication of the vex token that's radically different than other games that have in-game purchases or things that you can level up and earn that you could then sell to other players think about like a formula one race car or upgraded tires upgraded chassis things like that um, and so each of these have to be factored into the tokenomics because you need to ensure that each of these different verticals or each of these different game products are going to be revenue generating at some point in the future and that it drives the overall um, balance of tokens that you have in the ecosystem and the holders. Uh, so I would say there is a lot of time that's spent with product to ensure that that is fitting in. Um, you know, we have race clubs as well, which is effectively a you know, staking mechanism that has to also be aligned. Um, the prizes in the real world games that are the real world things that we are going to be integrating uh, for, for example, it could be tickets, it could be merchandise, it could be experience. All of those things also obviously play a part here. So 
I guess to take a step back, you're really looking at it as a holistic business and you're managing the funds that are available for this business and ensuring that each different sub team inside of the entire organization is doing things that will create more cash flow and long-term revenue opportunities that not only benefit the company, but also will benefit all token holders in the future. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, so Veloce made the deliberate decision to implement a key business initiative of decentralizing over five years. What were some of the impetuses um, towards making that decision? And how did they come up with an initial five-year plan to actually get there? What does that plan look like? Yeah, so I think when we think about what drove that decision in the first place, there are a couple different large macro effects that the team, the leadership team recognized and wanted to be part of. Uh, one of them, of course, is the moving on chain creates a much larger pie, I think, for an entire ecosystem or community of individuals, um, because you're now giving ownership back to them. I know one of the obvious things that we talk about at Web3 all the time is the, um, the capture of revenue and profits by middlemen, whether that's YouTube capturing things in between creators and advertisers um, or a million other examples. This is a situation where uh, Veloce recognized that they have a huge network, both of athletes, um, celebrities, people in that category, as well as the individuals who support them, follow all the different races and things like that. And they wanted to create this ecosystem themselves, but share it to, to make it as, um, to, to have that reinforcement of growth as much as humanly possible. So I think that was one of the main features uh, that drove them to make this decision. Another super important component, I think, that really drove them uh, is changing the way that fans interact with their customers. Uh, we've talked about it so much in other areas, whether that's music or art um, or video. But I think Falache is in a very unique situation here since they do have such a huge network of athletes uh, who want to connect with their fans they essentially can act as the middle service to provide all of that and then decentralize that out to their community. So really this network is able to provide that. So let's say for instance, to take a really basic example, um, let's say that you're a basketball, you follow basketball and you love Kevin Durant, right? In that situation, what can you, how can you as a fan interact with him? Well, certainly you can buy tickets, which go through like a middleman. Um, you could also follow him on Instagram or, or any other socials. And then if things are, are sold like merchandise or whatever, you can also go through another middleman to find that. I, I think what Veloce realized is the future of fandom or the ability to follow these individuals um, should really be more in the control of the artists or of the athlete. And they are able to, to benefit from the infrastructure that they've built over the past several years in the Web2 space, and then give that and reward the community by participating in that and also provide a higher reward to the artists themselves. So this is just the very beginning through a couple different racing games that we currently have, but I, I see a much longer roadmap here for Veloce to enable and empower artists and athletes in their ecosystem to engage with fans in a very, very different way and reward the community for that. It's awesome. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of innovation in Web3 for empowering creators, but Veloce is going more towards uh, athletes, which I think is really cool because to your point, there's not many ways that you can communicate with them in a mutually beneficial way that makes it feel like as a fan, you're actually tied to their success um, and how they're doing. So you, you mentioned a, a roadmap that Veloce wants to to execute on. Um, so first, like, can you talk about the roadmap if you possibly can and how they're trying to improve the athlete to fan connections? But two, as a treasury manager, how do you tie into the roadmap and what do you make sure actually gets executed so that there's an equilibrium between benefits of, of fan and athlete? 
Yeah, so I'll talk about it as much as I can. Uh, there are some things that I can talk about and there's some things I can't, but I think in the short to medium term, you're gonna see a lot of different games that all are engaging in different experiments uh, of the ways that Web3 can be used to engage with customers. So you might have games that are focused on predicting the outcome of real world events. You might have games that are tournament focused based on uh, different players challenging each other. You might have other games that are going to involve the athletes themselves in some way, shape or form. Um, but really what we're trying to do at this point, since it's still very early, is understand how the segments of our market uh, engage with each of these different things and then you know, double down or invest more in the things that are working. So I'd say that that'd be the first thing from a game perspective. Um, secondly, I think what we are driving towards and I could see a lot of others um, in the ecosystem getting interested in this uh, would be bringing Vexed and the token, which we already sort of mentioned could be the conduit between athletes and their fans into more and more real world thing. Um, so, of course, you mentioned you know, tickets, merge experiences like that, but I think also being able to connect with regular payment rails, um, whether that is something like a Visa MasterCard um, or some of these more traditional banks, especially outside of the United States and in jurisdictions that are moving a little bit quicker in that space, uh, really does change the game for a lot of people. Uh, if people are spending a lot of time, especially a younger generation of individuals that engage with these games, and they have assets that they can then spend in the real world via a simple credit card or something like that, um, you know, Veloce wants to be part of that. And they want to enable that for their customers. So I can see that as being another area that we move into in the near future. Uh, and as a treasurer, how does that impact me or how do I look at that? Uh, well, all of these things are, of course, in some way, shape or form, impacting the token, token price, token demand, uh, and the need for liquidity across different spaces. So these are all things that we have to think about. Um, and of course, that also dictates you know, what chains you might be deployed on or, or where your bridges are, or what other uh, affiliates you may be working with partners in you know, the traditional payment rail space to onboard users. Uh, and so all of these things really kind of come under that umbrella uh, that touch treasury here or there. Uh, and so it's a lot of discussions, a lot of logistics, but really exciting things. And I, I think ways that will really differentiate Vex against a lot of other tokens that are out there. You're certainly on the bleeding edge, um, but there's a lot of internal stakeholders that need to be involved in decisions um, for Veloce, for Vext, whether to your point, it's investments in new products or um, finding out different ways in which you can connect with fans for a better fan experience. So how do you as a treasury manager manage an ambitious roadmap, these internal stakeholders, the fans, athletes, it, it's got to be a lot of different perspectives on what's best, right? So as a treasury manager, you have uh, hopefully a lot of power in this situation, but how do you manage all that? Yes, there's power, of course. Um, but I think we really, as a leadership team, all all really do try to seek consensus and, and get everyone's opinions as to what, what best to do to move forward. Uh, and when it comes to each of these different decisions that fit somewhere into the roadmap, priorities are constantly changing. But the thing that we try to do is operate like any other startup, where if there's an ability for us to go in and test something in the wild and get data from that, we're going to do that as quickly as possible and just run as many different possible tests as we can. Um, and then just continue investing in the things that are working and then diverse, uh, divest from the things that are not working. So I think that that's typically it. Uh, but yeah, when it does come to managing stakeholders and internal stakeholders, there could be, let's say, for instance, a, a difference in generating cash flow for the business and allowing the token price to appreciate. 
um, or enabling or driving that token price appreciation, those are often competing objectives. Uh, and maybe some people in the community care more about one than the other. Uh, often investors that are early care way more about one than the other. And so there's a constant flow of communication. Um, and I, I think we had these you know, monthly board meetings to talk about it. Uh, we're constantly putting together documents and, and refining those documents as we go to understand what is the, the correct balance of those different things. And I think over time, they will change, right? In any business at the very, very beginning, you might be more focused on cash and, and growth and reinvesting that directly into the business. And then later on, uh, you may be in a situation where over time, we're lucky enough to diversify the treasury very, very well. And then we're more focused on, on just capital retention, investing that across the Web3 ecosystem, which obviously we're, we're strong believers in, um, and ensuring to, that we're rewarding the community uh, you know, commensurately for, for all that they've done to build this as well. You bring up some interesting points there. I think one of them is um, going from diversification to a period of trying to generate growth and, and yield from investments. So how do you think about when to hit the gas and when to ease up as a treasury manager? Because you want to mitigate as much risk as possible, but you're also trying to make sure that you demonstrate progress month over month, quarter over quarter to uh, what I'm sure is very uh very curious board members and early investors. Yeah, and I think that really is driven mostly by the product launch schedule. Uh, so if we have a new product coming out that we feel strongly about, we've, we've tested internally and things like that, and we know that it's going to be generating more cash, we might be a little bit more risky in, in the run-up to that, um, simply knowing that there's going to be a little cash coming in. Uh, but it is constantly changing, it's constantly evolving, um, and communication is the key across all these, these stakeholders and board members. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that I'm really looking forward to uh, in the course of this next bull cycle, whenever it comes, uh, is the ability to engage in more active um, partnership investments with the different ecosystem partners. I think one thing that's really very different between Web 2 and Web 3 is that it does feel like in Web3, you're able to build these partnerships and then grow the entire pie across everyone. I mean, it is a much more collaborative type of an environment. Uh, and the good thing is that you can often do that by aligning tokens, you know, whether that's sharing your token with others, getting putting some of that in your treasury, putting some of yours into that other treasury. And um, it, really building and working through those incentives is something that has to also uh, be incorporated into the strategy because often that could potentially represent some of the best long-term upside uh, for, for your treasury, for your ecosystem. Um, and so it's a matter of explaining and, and uh, trying to pencil those things in, but recognizing that they are, they are quite risky. So yeah, going back to first principles, cash is obviously the most important thing, ensuring the operations continue. Um, you know, communication with board members and stakeholders is, is absolutely critical uh, and obviously being transparent to the community. And then from that point forward, it's creativity. Where can you come up with the next big idea, uh, test it quickly, see if it works, if not, uh, retire it. I like that, the, the four C's, it's cash, community, creativity, and I'm missing one, but um, yeah, you should coin that as uh, part of your next treasury manager seminar that you're giving after this one. Um, yeah, it could be capital the, preservation, I guess, if you, you'd be down to say that, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, no, and going back to an earlier point, you, you mentioned trying to iterate over a lot of experiments and pulling the plugs on ones that didn't work. So what was um, like an insight moment that you had or an experiment that worked out quite well at Veloce that was stewarded by the treasury, but executed by whether it's the community or um, athletes? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a pretty basic one uh, early on, so the very first uh, decentralized app that we launched um, is a game called Boost. And in Boost, it is a pretty simple, straightforward application uh, where users are able to um, spend some decks to participate in the Boost game, and then in return, have a chance of winning prizes. Uh, those prizes could range wildly, uh, but initially we had set up those prizes to just be the VEX token. Um, and I think what we're realizing is the fan base uh, really gets so much enjoyment from participating in sports related things. Obviously, I mean, that's why they're there in the first place. Um, and the token itself doesn't have, it doesn't carry the same sort of emotional weight that other experiences could. And so what we've noticed is engagement is much higher with things that are tied directly to race performance, sporting events, um, and also timely too. Uh, one thing that we did that was exceptionally well was uh, allow the community to vote for the livery that is basically the design, the, the painting, the wrapping uh, on a race car for um, one of their teams, which is Extreme E. So it's, a, it's an electric race car race off-road in crazy places all over the world where climate change uh, has really changed that landscape or could potentially damage it. So they, they have races that are on the Greenland ice sheet. Um, we just had the final one of the season in Chile in the desert. Um, it's the driest place on earth. Um, I think it's gone, you know, decades without rain. And um, yeah, the entire community was involved in selecting what that car would look like. Uh, and we ended up actually winning it too. And so it's a, it's a huge announcement and I think the community was very proud of it. Um, but that was a perfect example of where VVEX token from a governance perspective was used to vote on chain for what the design in a real world race would look like. Um, and I think it really just rewarded everyone, um, not just financially, of course, but like emotionally and with this sense of community that we were trying to build in the first place. That's epic. And y'all have done an amazing job of aligning, uh, I think incentives across the board, but also giving your community the, the sense of empowerment. Um, so I think that's a testament to the work that you and the team have done and designing the token economics, but also making sure that everything is clear, transparent, uh, as well as open for the community to uh, actually drive the uh, Veloce team and product forward. Um, no, this is this has been great, Jilly. We, we've covered so much ground already. I feel like this has been a very efficient episode. You, you've uh, gone deep. You, you've talked about things in the abstract. Um, so for individuals that are thinking of uh, whether it's a career track uh, as a treasury manager or becoming the, the next jelly in the world, uh, where do they start? Do they need your background or um, are there any skills that you would say that they should have? Yeah, the background certainly not necessary um, from traditional finance. There are a lot of things that are beneficial, but the world is also just radically different in Web3. So um, I would say probably what most people say, uh, which is just jump in, uh, you know, volunteer, get be, be part of a DAO, see how these different dynamics play out in the real world. Um, and then I think, you know, along with any other financial principles that have been learned either in your education or in your own personal investing, um, the thing to remember is just that volatility is, is the king in crypto. And so you have to be extra cautious when managing any sort of operational budget um, in order to just stay alive. And, you know, that, that I guess is like the first component of it. Uh, where people can play around or experiment to learn more, I would say, would also be in trading. Uh, because markets, whether we like it or not, are a, especially the chaos of crypto markets that have uh, limited regulation with a lot of uh, unknown players uh, in the space can be all over the place and shark tanks. Um, so if people are able to sort of monitor and understand behavior 
through the charts and through the activity and through the on-chain activity as well, um, that will set them up really well to be able to understand when and where um, the token is best placed to be um, sold on DEXs, sold on sexes, and, um, and also just maybe some of the tactics that could be used by market makers to, to maximize the impact of that token and capital. That's uh, sage wisdom that you're imparting on everyone. The, the markets uh, are very humbling, but you have to be forged in the fires if you want to be managing uh, a large on-chain treasury, that's for sure. Um, what about Veloce? How can people get involved in the awesome community that you've cultivated? Uh, beyond just the VEX token, is there any way that they can be actively involved in um, creating the, the next wave of uh, whether it's gaming or athlete fan connections? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't thank the leadership team of Veloce enough for being so creative and um, wide open to possibilities of what is available using Web3. Um, and so if there is anybody out there who's a creative that wants to get involved in either building games or bridging that connection between athletes and fans, um, there are a ton of different initiatives. So you can either pop in the Telegram group, go in Discord, uh, and just start reaching out to the relevant team members who are leading those initiatives um, because we are constantly talking to people. Any ideas, obviously welcome. And um, as the community continues to, to build or, or bubble those ideas up to the top, um, it's great to have other community members that can jump on it and assist with it and build those things out with their individual expertise. So, yeah, I think it's just step number one is reflect on yourself and see what are your gifts, what, what's your talent, where do you want to get involved? Um, take a look at what we're doing. And then from there, reach out. Uh, we're all pretty friendly people uh, and we, we communicate quite a lot in the group. So, yeah, just reach out. Any help needed on the treasury or a one-man band you got it, uh, you got it handled? It's certainly not a one-man band. Uh, I'm glad to, to be the face of it, but there are so many people behind the scenes that are, that are critical in making this happen. Um, and yeah, if people are interested in that, uh, they can certainly reach out to me and I'm happy to talk to anybody about uh, some of the, the good times, the bad times, the, the tough learnings that, that have you know, forged uh, my experience, but also the actively managed treasury of Valache and where that's headed in the future. Um, so yeah, cer certainly anyone with an algorithmic trading background, uh, certainly anyone who understands data analytics and data science, um, but also people that are just you know interested for a new challenge and and want to uh, get involved in, in a cutting edge, constantly evolving space. Um, it, it's such a blessing to really be in treasury management in this phase of crypto growth uh, because I feel like in the in the last cycle it wasn't something that was really paid attention to, and so you had all of these huge treasuries in the tens of millions of dollars that effectively went to zero very rapidly, um, just because I don't think it was a function that was carved out within the organization. Uh, now, having gone through that, that bear cycle, uh, not to say that it's totally over and everything's up only from this point forward, but I think that that's taught and educated everyone that, hey, if we have a significant amount of digital assets, these deserve the attention um, from at least an individual, probably a team, because this is, our most valuable asset or one of our most valuable assets that we have uh, and it needs to be treated as such. So yeah, it's great to see that this is a growing area. It's very exciting. Uh, and yeah, happy to talk to anybody if they reach out to me as well. Couldn't agree more uh, about how exciting treasury management is as a space. I think it's uh, not the sexiest thing on paper, but the actual impact that you have across uh, the DAO is, is immeasurable. Well, technically it is measurable, but uh, yeah, it's uh, very significant. Um, no, but uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Jelly, imparting your wisdom. Um, 
yeah, being the one of the last episodes of season one here, we can't wait to have you back on season two to talk about uh, the next couple of years with uh, Veloce's plan to migrate um, to being a fully decentralized organization. Um, but with that, we will conclude this episode. So thank you, Jelly and the Veloce team for talking so much about your experience, um, but then also to our listeners here for tuning in and up-leveling their skills on treasury management, DAO operations, and, and building the future of crypto and Web3. Um, so we'll be back soon with another episode, um, and we look forward to uh, all the users' feedback here. So thanks again, Jelly, and we'll see everyone soon.